Lord, thank you so much for tonight. And Lord, uh, thank you for um, the saints. Thank you for uh, my brothers and sisters uh, that are here. Uh, Lord, I pray, God, that you would just um, bless uh, this time together. Lord, that you would um, speak to us through your word. And, and Lord, just that we would see um, your faithfulness to the church. As, um, you know, we think that we live in, in, in crazy times, which we do. But, Lord, they did, too. And, boy, they just seemed to um, just stay focused on what you called them to do. And, uh, Lord, uh, we just see so many awesome things happen at your hand as the church yields to you and, and walks by faith and not by sight. So we thank you for that. And, God, I pray that our time in the Word would be fruitful. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're uh, still in Acts 19. So I want to give you a little bit of a recap of where uh, we were and where we're going. And just a reminder that, you know, going through the book of Acts should really um, solidify your faith. Because these men and women, um, you know, it's just, they're, they're... um, their determination, their faith, their willingness just to, to trust the Lord is just so challenging to me. Uh, they took God at his word, and they stepped out in faith, and they saw God do miracles. And it's no different today. God's the same yesterday. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We still have the same Holy Spirit in us. And if our hearts and our motivations are right to serve God, you know, God is going to do some awesome things. And uh, we're going to see some of those things tonight. So Paul is in his third missionary journey, so that encompasses like 53 A.D. to 57 A.D. And it starts in Acts 18.23 and carries on to 21.17. So last week we saw Paul leaving Antioch and going through Syria, going through Galatia, you know, going to those cities that he had um, been to prior. Um, Aquila and Priscilla meet Apollos, if you remember that. Apollos gets up and he's teaching the baptism of John, and Aquila and Priscilla are there and they pull him aside and they kind of bring him up to date as to what's happening and what's happened in the gospel. Uh, So Apollos leaves Ephesus, and Paul goes to Ephesus. And we talked last time just how God is, you know, God is working. God is putting saints in places where he needs them and wants them. And there's this shifting around, and, you know, it's just God's hand. It's God's hand. And, you know, that hasn't changed, right? That's still happening today. God is moving people around, moving pieces around, the church, different things are going on. Uh, you know, you think some countries are closed to the gospel, but the church is, is just growing and, and thriving where we think that it wouldn't. But that's all God. That's all God. So um, don't get discouraged by what's happening in the world today because you know what? The gospel hasn't changed. God hasn't changed, and the mandate for us to go out and preach the gospel, none of that's changed. And God is going to bless that, and God is going to keep us, and God is going to anoint us. God is going to strengthen us. He's going to give us whatever we need to get the job done. 
just like he's doing in the book of Acts. So it's really something to get excited about. Because, you know, things are getting weird, but you know what? Jesus is still on the throne. And he's got a plan for each one of our lives. You know, and it's almost like, um, you know, you watch some of these um, action movies and, you know, the hero does everything. You know, he can just do anything he needs to do. You know, James Bond or whatever. But you know what? I mean, it's like us in our Christian faith. We, you know what? If God calls you to do something, you could do it. You could do it. If God's word says something and you step out on faith, believe me, God is going to be there. So it's exciting. You know, maybe I'm getting a little overexcited about it up here, but it's so true. It's so real. And I just pray that you guys um, see that. So, okay, meanwhile, um, Paul is back at Ephesus. Um, There's, um, you know, he goes to the synagogue for three months. You know, they kind of give him, well, they don't really give him the boot. They just give him a hard time, and he decides to, Um, rent some space at the school of Tyrannus, and he takes the disciples from the synagogue, and he takes them to the school of Tyrannus, and, you know, he disciples them. And he spends a little, well, two months, two years um, in in Ephesus. So at this time, and I want to just, I found this kind of interesting, 54 AD, so this is going to be in kind of where we're going to start up in Acts 19.11. Um, a side note, something happening in world history, Nero becomes the emperor of Rome at this time. 54 AD, around there. Um, I don't think it affected the gospel much. Life still went on, but it was just interesting. He, he's a real pivotal guy as you go towards the end of Paul's life and you know involved with the church. So, Paul is in Ephesus still. God is doing these extraordinary miracles through Paul. So much to the point where, you know, he was a tent maker. So he would have like an apron on and he would have this, they would call them handkerchiefs, but they were like sweat rags. You know, and as they were working, they would wipe the sweat and they would keep working. Well, people were getting these, these hankies and they were being healed with the hanky. You know, and it sounds kind of weird. We had talked about it the last time that we went through here. Um, But it's interesting. It was nothing to do with the hanky or the sweat or anything on it. Just God was doing some really outrageous, if you will, miracles in Ephesus. And something to think about, you know, why would God do that? You know, think about Paul is in a city of probably 250,000 people that are into just steeped in idol worship and, you know, satanic stuff. And, you know, for Paul to walk in there and start preaching the gospel, God has, you know, God through these miracles is just um, doing it to, to verify the ministry of Paul, to let these people know that, hey, what he's saying is true. God is with this man, and um, God is with us. God is with us, too. And when we step out in faith, God does, the, you know, God does miraculous things through us. You know, when you share the gospel and somebody gets saved, is there a greater miracle than that? Somebody being born again into the family of God? 
You know, so sometimes when we think of miracles, we think of a lot of different cooler things, but people getting saved is where it's at because that's what God has called us to do. So, you know what, when we're, I'll, we'll talk about where we're headed as we get there because, you know what, I don't, that won't help us out that much. Okay, so the battle rages on. Okay, Paul is in Ephesus. He's, um, he's doing these miracles. People are getting saved. Um, we ended up in verse 13, but I'm going to read verses 8 through 12 just to kind of get us there. And this is Acts 19, starting in verse 8. It says, And when he went to the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, and we talked about that, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God, uh, but when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, and that's a name that they gave to the Christian church back in the day. They called them the way, because Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Um, so the, before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwell in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And, you know, don't read past verse 10. It, you know, it says, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. That's a lot of people hearing the word of God in two years. And that's without the internet. That's without telephones, you know, texting, none of that. That, that was word of mouth looking at people and sharing with them. Now, in verse 11, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul that so, that e so that even handkerchiefs or aprons would be brought before the body to the sick and the diseased. And they left them and the evil spirits went out of them. So a lot of really... Powerful things happening. They should make movies of this stuff. That would be so cool to see this happening. But, you know, God confirms Paul's ministry, his, his really his apostolic authority, through these miracles. He's establishing Paul in the city of Ephesus. So when, you know, these are the Jewish, the, the Pharisees, the Jewish leadership, and, you know, these, the folks that worshiped in the temple of Diana, when they saw what Paul was doing. This brought credibility to who he was and to his God. And we should never feel in any situation that we're in that God is not there to validate what we're saying. And I, you know, guys, we need to know that. We need to depend on that. We need to know that God is with us. He said he'd never leave us or forsake us. And when we open our mouth to share the gospel, um, he's there. He's there. So the miracles verified that the apostles represented God and that the gospel they preached was from heaven. It was real. It was real. You know, notice that God provided for the situation that Paul was in. And wherever God guides, he provides. God is always there. If God calls you to do something, you can you can rest assured that he is going to provide what you need as you're there. Talk to a missionary, you know, and how the, you know, their lives are just, you know, just it's got to be the Lord. It's got to be the Lord. So 
One thing I think we all know is true. Wherever God is at work, Satan is invariably on hand to obstruct and to oppose what's going on. And that's what we're going to see now as we read, starting in verse 13. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you, uh, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known both to all the Greeks and Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them, and the name of the Lord was magnified. Wow. That's a pretty interesting scene, right? Try to picture that in your mind. These itinerant Jewish exorcists, they were in the King James Version, that calls them a vagabond. And these were just a person who wandered from place to place without a home or a job. So these guys are on the circuit, and um, their only source of income was deceiving the people into thinking that, that they had some power, um, some spiritual power. But, you know, they didn't. And it's interesting, it says in, that the Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves. But that's not a good thing right, right there, right? Oh, yeah, I could do this myself, right? No, you know, you, you guys know, I think you've learned from experience that, you know, I, th- and I, I think that, where did I read that? that um, oh, that's right. Satan is the, is the one who originally wrote the do-it-yourself manual. You know, I, well, the guys understand do-it-yourself manuals, right? You just look at it in a book and you can fix it, right? But, you know, the thing is that they took it upon themselves. They had no idea what they were getting themselves into. They had no idea at all. You know, there was no relationship. They had no relationship with Jesus. You know, they, they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, to them it was just academic. It was just information. And, you know, sadly, um, a lot of churches today just have information. People have information, uh, but there's no power because there's, the word of God is not present. You know, they're hearing things, but there's no application. There's no Holy Spirit. And, you know, this little section, you know, these four verses are really um, an illustration of why the church isn't as powerful, I think, and as effective today. Because a lot of what the church is hearing, it's, it's, it's more academic than it is heart relationship. Right? Pastor Richard mentioned this morning about James being a doer of the word. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, it's, it's relationship. And these, these Jewish exorcists, they had no idea. They saw it and they thought, well, hey. You know, we could do that. We just mention this guy, Jesus, mention his name. That'll work. You know, they were like totally deceived. But God used it. But God used it. 
So <laughs> they they didn't realize they, you know the the evil spirits recognized that, that these guys had no power that they were just um, insignificant. So I found this, um, and it's really interesting. I had to read it a few times to to really get the full scope of it. But this is like a reverse exorcist, right? They were trying to exorcise the, you know, the person that had the evil spirit, but the evil spirit just kind of jumped on them. It's not supposed to happen that way. But anyhow, listen to F.B. Meyer has this amazing comment on this little section of scripture. And it really, um, I'll read it slow. It's like a little, it's, it's, not, it's not long, but it's pretty powerful. Okay, here's what he said. He says, when the sons of Sceva started on the demon, he turned on them and said, you little dwarfs, you Lilliputians, who are you? I know Jesus, and I know Paul. I don't know you. I've never heard about you before. Your name has never been talked about down in hell. No one knows you nor about you outside of this little bit of a place called Ephesus. So he goes on to say, yes, and there is a question that was put to me or to us today. Does anyone know of us down in hell? Do the devils know about us? Are they scared about us? Are they frightened by us? Or do they turn upon us? When we preach on Sunday, or when we visit in the streets, or take our Sunday school class, the devil says, I don't know you. You're not worth my powder and shot. You can go on doing your work. I'm not going to upset hell to stop you. So I, you know, I looked at that as a challenge, like, am I living my life in such a way that you know, they're talking about me in hell? You know, are we, are, are we that much of an issue for the enemy that, hey, you know what, they're talking about you in hell. They're, they're hearing about, you know, you're a threat. You're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. You know, and that's what, it's just amazing that, to, you know, to think about that like that. Is, are, we, are we that committed? Are we that um, sold out, if you will? And, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, because, you know, the, the dialogue in that middle paragraph is that the devil is saying, I don't, I don't even know if you're worth it. You know, it's like you're insignificant. So it's just amazing to see that. So he closes it out and he says, it's interesting how the scripture distinguishes between the evil spirit in verse 15 and the man in whom the evil spirit dwelt. In verse 15, the demon spoke, but in verse 16, the demonic himself leaped on the sons of Sceva, overpowered them, and stripped them and wounded them. So it got me thinking, because, you know, with this, it's, it's, the two, it's, you know, it's the forces of darkness kind of like just bumping heads. You know, and what did Jesus say in Matthew 12, 25? It says, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, 
and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And it can't. He, I mean, obviously it can't stand against the kingdom of God, but even the, the fighting between themselves. You know, it just can't stand, and it never will stand. I mean, the, the kingdom of darkness is doomed. I mean, their, it's already, their fate is sealed. You know, but you can see there is that end fighting there. And it's something that, uh, you know, and I was thinking about this this afternoon. The, the church is a to, the total opposite. You know, when, when Aquila and Priscilla were listening to Apollos speak, and they realized that he was off a little bit in his theology, you know, it was a picture of the love of Christ. You know, they let him finish. They took him aside. They just loved him. They ministered to him. You know, and that's just the complete opposite. You know, the kingdom of God is, you know, Christians, the church, there should be, um, there, there should be a, a, just a love, a connection, where we, we would be looking out for each other. You know, when we see a fault, instead of pointing it out in a negative way, you know, just loving that person and calling them aside. You know, there's, um, there's a, um, a lot of things that we can do as the church a little better. And one of them is taking care of each other, loving each other, looking out for each other. Hey, we're a family. You know, we're a family. You know, the kingdom of darkness, the world, you know what, they, I mean, it's just a stepping stone. They're just, you know, they're, they'll step over you in a second to get someplace. But the church, we have to be different. We have to be different. You know, it's um, so important for us to understand that. You know, and Paul, when, you know, there's, a, there's another contrast between verses 14 and 16, the one where we just read, with the opposite effect that happened in verse 12 when Paul was um, delivering um, the evil spirits when they went out of the people that he was ministering to or against. So there's, um, there's just a big contrast and a, a difference in it. And you can, um, I wanted to highlight this, and I, I hope it, it helps, the Jew, or they, the Jewish exorcists, the sons of Sceva, they took it upon themselves, right? They operated in the flesh. When you compare that with how Paul, being led by the Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit, had authority over the power of darkness. So guys, you know, we can't expect to operate in the flesh and have victory. You know, it's, it's got to be in the Spirit, it's got to be led by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with us. So you really need to take some time and consider your mode of operation. Okay, are we operating in the flesh or are we being led by the Spirit? And, you know, I think sometimes we wake up and we're <laughs> led by the, the flesh some days, right? We're kind of cranky, the day's not going that swell. I mean, but it's something that doesn't have to be um, a continuous thing, right? I mean, you're having a bad day, so, you know, you just get out of it. You just get alone with the Lord. You get into the Word a little, pray. 
You can do it on the way to work in the car, right? Lord, I'm just having a rough day. <laughs> Help. You know, just minister in my day. And it should, it should be that practical. It should be that a matter of fact. Because it's not, it really isn't complicated. And I'm, hopefully I'm not minimizing it too much either. But that's, um, I kind of operate that way. <laughs> you know, Mary Ann's laughing because she knows. I, um, I have a tendency, I could, I can just think I'm okay and I'm okay. You know, I just, re, if I'm in a, having a bad day and I just, okay, Lord, I'm having a bad day, we got to change this. And it just happens, you know, and I don't know if it's, maybe it's just the way I'm wired. I don't know. Maybe it's a curse. I'm not sure, but it's, it's exciting to know that I can go from, oh, boy, I should have stayed in bed to, boy, I'm glad I'm awake. You know, I'm glad I'm involved with today. But that's, you know, we, we all should be able to work through those things, hopefully fairly quickly. All right, enough of that. Look at the results of what happens now. In verse 17 through 20, it says, This became known both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And I want to just give you a little perspective. I mean, remember there's, now it says both, both all the Jews and the Greeks. So if there's, the world is made up of Jews and Gentiles, are the Greeks just Gentiles, or could it be, you know, could it be that every single person in the city of Ephesus is included in this, that fear fell on all of them? That would really be a pretty wild scene, considering that they're, like I said, 250,000 people. And just to just give it a little bit of perspective, I mean, just even if it was half, and that's a lot of people being affected by the word of God through the ministry of the word. And it says that many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So this interaction brings about another move of the word of God, the spirit of God in Ephesus. And I'm not sure now, I, I've read um, a couple different um, commentaries, and when it talks about 50,000 pieces of silver, I've, I've seen um, some numbers to like $6 million for today or $8,000 for today. So there's a big discrepancy in it. In it. But the, the, the point is that they brought these books and burned them. And you say, okay, so why, why is that important? Well, back in the first century, these books were full of all these little um, spells and incantations. And, you know, if you were um, in any of these curious arts, um, you know, all of the, these were like your trade secrets. You know, these were your go-to. It's almost like if, well, maybe you gals can understand this, if you have your favorite cookbook. And in this cookbook, you have 
every recipe that you love, and these are all your favorites, and you have them in this cookbook, right? Well, you would like to keep that book, right? You cherish it. Well, these folks took all of the books with all of those pagan ideas in it, and they burned it. They burned it. And they, you know, they brought everything, burned it up, and because of that, think about that. What they're saying is, they're saying later for that, I mean, they're entering the kingdom of God. These people are getting saved. They're burning the past, and they're moving forward in the Lord. I mean, it's an exciting time. And they, you know, they didn't count the cost. That's a little reverse, right? We count the cost. Well, they didn't count the cost. Those books were worth a lot of money. They didn't care. They weren't going to let anything get in the way of their relationship with the Lord. And that should be true for us, right? We, I mean, what, there should be nothing between us and the Lord. And when we got saved, we, we started to clean house, right? We started to get rid of those things that were in between us and the Lord. But it's an ongoing thing. When I got saved, I was involved with drugs. So obviously, you know, that stuff all had to go. You know, and then it was the process of getting um, used to being, um, just getting rid of that whole lifestyle and that whole way of thinking. So these people, this is a start. They're taking all of those books, their past, everything that would hinder them from coming to the Lord, and, and they were just burning it just burning it and moving forward. So it's really, it's, it's a big thing. It's a big thing for them, what they did. It was huge. Just burning the past and moving forward. And it says in verse 20 again, that so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You know, and, and Luke again emphasizes the inherent and deep-rooted power of the word of the Lord, showing that the gospel triumphs over all demonic powers. And in these summary statements, Luke continues to give glory to God and his word rather than on any human skill, knowledge, or effort. I mean, this, was, this whole thing was totally the Lord. The miracles, the, everything that got their attention, everything that brought them to this place of turning their back on you know, the, just the darkness, the occult, and turning and turning, going to the Lord and getting saved. It was a miracle in itself. And you can see the effect that this had. It caused the name of the Lord Jesus to be spread through the entire pagan city. And when you think, of, it's a huge city, huge, massive, 250,000 people. Uh, the miracles the Holy Spirit did through Paul shook Ephesus right to its very foundation. Could you imagine thinking that something like that could happen? But you know what? Something like that did happen right here in Rochester, New York. Well, not, um, maybe not to that magnitude, but um, Charles Finney. Um, you know, he, um, he had a huge effect on Rochester. So at the, the peak of his evangelistic career, when he reached Rochester, New York, um, where he preached 98 sermons between September 10th, 
1830 and March 6th, 1831. Think this is what happened here. Shopkeepers closed their businesses, posting notices, urging people to attend Finney's meetings. Reportedly, the population of the town increased by two-thirds during the revival, but crime dropped by two-thirds over the same period. I mean, this is the book of Acts in, instead of the first century in 1830. This could happen again. You know, it's just amazing, and, and it has. I mean, Billy Graham crusades have been really uh, powerful. Uh, from Rochester, he began an almost continuous revival in New York City um, as, he, as, he minister, as the minister of the Second Free Presbyterian Church. In 1834, he moved into the huge Broadway tabernacle that his followers built for him. It says that he stayed there for only a year, leaving to pastor Oberlin Congregational Church and teach theology at Oberlin College, and that Oberlin College is still there today in Ohio. Finney produced a variety of books, his lectures on revivals and religion and manuals on how to lead revivals inspired thousands of preachers um, to, to more conscientiously manage uh, their revival meetings. So, I mean, there's a guy that had an impact like we're reading in the book of Acts. And out of his ministry, he inspired uh, D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham. So you never know. You never know. Here's a guy that just got saved, trusted the Lord. The Lord told him to go out and preach. He had the gift of evangelism, and he just set Rochester, New York, uh, straight, if you will, for us. I mean, businesses, think about that. Businesses close with a note on the door. Go to the revival down the street at this church or whatever, right? I mean, it's amazing to see that. But that's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's something that can happen again, and it should happen again. We were encouraged this morning to, to do something, right? To, get, to just get plugged in, to let God use us. So that's a good word. It's a good encouraging word, too. One last thought on prevailing. That word prevailing is proving more powerful than opposing forces when we prevail. And in 1 John 4, 4, it says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We can prevail against the powers of darkness. We can prevail against anything. For If, if God is with us, who could, be a, who could be against us? Right? Keep that in mind when you hear and see the current events of the day. Remember that the gospel truly does triumph, triumph over all evil. And it does. It does. The word of God will prevail. It will Ultimately, and it's going to prevail in our lives tonight, tomorrow, as long as we're on this planet, the word of God is going to prevail. We can put your head on the pillow tonight and have a nice, sweet sleep because we know that God's word is going to prevail. God's will is going to prevail. So the good news and the truth that we should hold on to in these last days 
the will and the word of God will prevail, prevail regardless of what you're hearing and what you're seeing. All right, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. Everything that's going on around us is real. It's real, and it's there. But we're not called to let that dictate how we respond to life and what we see. You know, we're called to walk by faith. And walking by faith is trusting God that what he says is going to be what the outcome is going to be. It's not, you know, the world can say a lot of things, people can say a lot of things, but the word of God is going to prevail. No matter what you see, God's word is going to prevail. And, you know, and I was, I was thinking of Joshua when they were circling the city and God just told them to circle the city once every day and then on the seventh day, right, Jericho, and then on the seventh day, go around seven times, blow the trumpet and shout, and the walls are going to fall. Now, really, now, if somebody told you that today, if, if you felt, you know, God, you're praying and God said, all right, I want you to go to the White House and walk around it seven times and shout and not, the White House will fall down to the ground or whatever. You know, I mean, we wouldn't, we would think it would be crazy. But you know what? God is just, he, he has his own way of thinking. Is his own way of operating. And for us to tap into that, it's, you know, we have the Holy Spirit and it's faith. And, um, you know, the whole White House thing might have been a little too much. You know, maybe you start out with a smaller building. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right, verse 21. It says, then these things were accomplished. As these things were accomplished, Paul supposed or purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia to Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So this is Paul's first mention of Rome. But I, I like that phrase, Paul purposed in the spirit. He's already praying about what's going on next. God seems as though that, um, that, that the Lord is, is giving him um, some, some direction so he's purposed in the spirit that when he passes through, he's going to leave from Ephesus. He's going to go up through Troas, through Philippi, Thessalonica, and go all the way down and around to Corinth and um, Athens to Greece. So, And then on his way back, he's going to end up in Jerusalem. But he's already, you know, it seems as though the Lord's already laying this out um, for Paul. So really, it seems like no idle time for Paul. I mean, he's in Ephesus. He's, he's in this huge revival. He's there for two years. People are getting saved. Um, it, it seems as though, like, um, and we're going to see this, so this is really happening. Um, the Temple of Diana, they're losing uh, parishioners, if you will. People are getting saved. Um, there's a, a lot going on, and yet Paul is still praying and still asking God, you know, what's, you know, where are we going next? The Holy, you know, he's just um, seeking God for direction. You know, when I when I think of that, he, Paul purposed in the Spirit, so it's just kind of challenged me. Sometimes I look for a little downtime where I don't have to think about much, but you know, I and then reading this about Paul and. He, it seems like he, he must have always been, okay, Lord, what's next? You know, this is going on here. Who can I leave here 
to maintain what, what's going on here at Ephesus so we can move on. So we, you know, just always seeking the Lord. And that's really healthy. I really think it's healthy for us. You know, what's next, Lord? You know, we get up in the morning, what, what's, what's on the agenda for today? You know, what's going on? Yeah, of course, we go to work, there's things to do. But, you know, the Lord always opens these doors. He brings people into our lives. Are, are we paying attention to that? So this verse also gives us, it provides an outline for the remainder of the book of Acts. Because after Paul leaves Ephesus, he returns to the churches in Macedonia and Achaia. And then from there, he goes on to Jerusalem at the end of the second missionary journey. And then eventually, he's going to end up in Rome. So really, the whole um, outline of the rest of the book of Acts is seen in this verse. In uh, Romans 15, 22 through 24, you know, Paul tells us that um, he intended to use Rome as a jumping-off point for ministry um, in uh, Spain. Now, we're not quite sure if he ever made it to Spain. Some commentators believe that he did after he was released from prison, his first imprisonment. Um, so, you know, you could kind of look in that as a little side note to see what you can find. But in Romans 15, verses 22 through 24, uh, Paul tells us, For this reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you, writing to the Romans, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. So this really is a turning point in the book of Acts, where Paul is starting to talk about going back to Jerusalem and then eventually to Rome. Um, obviously, he doesn't know how he's how he's going to you know how he's going to end up going to Rome, even though Agabus and some prophets will tell him. Uh, along the way as he's working his way back to Jerusalem. But uh, Paul is determined to, um, to go to Rome. So it says in verse 22 that he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia or in Ephesus for a time. So he sends Timothy and Erastus ahead um, Paul wrote First and Second Corinthians while he was there in Ephesus, while in Ephesus, and um, he bring you know it's Titus, Timothy, and Erastus that bring the the letter to the Corinthian church. So let's move on, and we're gonna. I don't know if we're gonna finish, but let's. Uh, we're gonna look at the rest of the chapter and. Paul is going to experience some, uh, some violent opposition now as he stays at Ephesus. The church still faces similar types of opposition, same underlying motivation, just uh, anti-God motivated, power, money. Uh, there's a lot of different reasons why the church is opposed but we know it's a spiritual battle first, battle first and foremost. But starting here through the rest of the chapter, if you could, try to picture this mob 
um, if you can. As as Paul uh, as Paul gets, um, well, they're actually looking for they're looking to drag Paul out to do bodily harm to him, but um, they're not gonna they're not gonna get to Paul. So. I kind of related this to some of the craziness that we saw um, last year, last year and a half. But in this particular instance, when, when we read this, you can see that, um, that there's, there's going to be some, a voice of reason through all of this. And I look at um, this town clerk as the voice of reason and really um, the person that God uses to, um, once again, save Paul. So let's um, let's start. Let's read verses twenty three and twenty four. It says, "And about this time there arose a great com- commotion about the way, or the Christians, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver, brought no small profit to the craftsmen." So he's talking about these. They made these little silver shrines of Diana. And they would use them, um, you know, at home for idol worship, you know. And I was thinking, it, you know, you see sometimes you see people have these little figures on their dashboard, you know. It's just it's it's idol worship. And this guy Demetrius, he was um, he was a silversmith, and he, you know, made a lot of money. There's a, there was a lot of money in making these shrines. And when I was in India, it's like no matter where I went stores, houses. I mean, there were little idols all over the place. So it kind of gives you an idea of, you know, what Ephesus was like. And of course, you know, we have idols in our lives that the Lord points out and that we, you know, 86 them, toss them, get rid of them, you know, just get them out of the way. There's things that would inhibit us, you know, serving the Lord the way that we should. And, you know, these folks we just read about, they they got rid of their stuff, burned it all. So it's just amazing to see that. And, you know, everybody worships something. And I think it was um, Bob Dylan wrote that song. You know, some you got somebody's got to worship. We're going to work, what, do you know the name? Got to serve somebody. And it talks about serving God or the enemy. Pretty interesting. So... These guys, they're in the business of making these little shrines. So in verse 25 through 27, that's going to start to get a little intense. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of failing or falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. So kind of interesting. the motivation, is he more concerned about the money or disrespect for Diana? It's hard to say. But, you know, it's a, 
it's really what motivates people today more than anything is power and money. Power and money. And, um, you know, you, you see it. All, you, I mean, that's what motivates people today, politicians today. Power and money. Power and money. And they're going to be, they're, they're upset with Paul because Paul is persuading people to turn away and they're losing business. But it's interesting, you know, everything that Demetrius said about Paul is true. Every accusation he said about him is true. And I just thought that was kind of funny. First by saying that what Paul was doing is going to affect the bottom line. And it was, right? He was, people were getting saved. People were leaving the temple and they're burning their books. And I'm sure that if they had these little shrines, they were tossing them into the fire. And I don't think that the Christians were going back to the store to buy another little one, right? So if thousands of people, hundreds, you know, if a thousand, you know, thousands of people are getting saved, think of what that does to the bottom line. So what a way to, you know, that, that's a reason to hate what God's doing and to hate Paul. But think about it today. I mean, people dislike the church because it's, the church is against abortion, you know, think of the money that is made because of that. But here's the church taking a stand and saying, wait, you can't do that. You can't do that. And, you know, so then there's other moral issues. You can't, you can't tell um, a five-year-old kid, that he, a little boy, that he's not a boy, he's a girl. You can't do that. You know, you can't switch pronouns. You can't, men can't have babies. I think that's the latest. You know, so the church takes a stand and says, hey, wait a minute, you can't do that. And you wonder why they want to get rid of the church. Why is there so much pressure to shut the church down? During COVID, liquor stores were open, churches were closed. You know, we see it right here. They, were, they wanted to find Paul and get rid of Paul because Paul was bad for business. Paul was taking their followers away. Paul was taking the power, the control that they had over all these people away. You know, and what is the church saying? Hey, wait a minute. Our allegiance is to God, and God has given us some unalienable rights and so you know, and, and we 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 take a stand for that. Where the you know, there's people in this country that want to take that away. So it's it's no surprise to me why people dislike Christianity because we are just in the way of everything that they want. And you know, they're going to have their uh, you know their dream situation or whatever is going to be given to them when the church is raptured because when we're gone and there is no restrainer the holy spirit is gone it's really going to you know they're going to have all the authority they want but they're not they're not going to have it because it's going to be hell on earth and everything that they were trying to strive for i mean the enemy i mean it's just not it's just not it's going to be a rude awakening that's why, you know, in spite of what they say about the church, we need to pray for those folks that are in authority. You know, and you know that's why the Lord put it on Paul's heart to write that. But, you know, everything that Demetrius said was true. Uh, Demetrius wasn't wrong 
in linking Diana with the civic, economic, and religious interests of the city, right? It makes you wonder if he was more interested in the money or in the worship of Diana. Um, Paul did preach against idolatry. He said that Paul was doing that. People from all Asia and the, wor- and the world did flock to Ephesus to worship Diana, particularly in the week-long festival that they had dedicated to her. So all these things that he's saying to the crowd are true. And then at last, and last but not least, he was right about the reach of the word of God in Asia. The word of God was moving like wildfire through Asia. In Acts 19, verses 9 and 10, and it says that reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus, and this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. We just read in verse 17 that this became known both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And in verse 20, the word of the Lord grew and mightily prevailed. So the stuff that Demetrius was saying was true. Paul was doing all those things. And this is what he's saying to stir up the crowd against Paul and against the church in Ephesus. So in verse 28 through 31, Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city, okay, so now it's, Think about it, thousands of people, right, were filled, were filled with confusion and ran into the theater with one accord, having seen, seized Caius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. And when Paul wanted to go out into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, to Paul, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. So they rush into this theater, which only hold, held like 20,000 people. And they're, they're looking for Paul. <laughs> but, you know, they're the, these friends that he made that were officials in Asia, so they must have had some influence, they encouraged them, hey, Paul, don't, you know, don't, don't go out there. Don't go out there. So in verses 32 through 37, it says, Some therefore cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And, you know, that sounds a little bit like last summer when we had all of these different things, these craziness in these cities, these riots. Half the people that were there involved didn't even know why they were there didn't even know anything about the group that was represented there. They had no idea. You know, it's just this mass hysteria. It's confusing. It's crazy. And these people were no different. They didn't even know why they were there. And they drew um, Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. So this poor guy... The Jews grab him and throw him out there, and the only reason why they did that is because they wanted somebody to speak for them because they didn't want the crowd. He wanted Alexander, or they did, to put some distance between the Jews and Paul and the Christians. 
they didn't want the, the crowd to perceive that they were affiliated with Paul. So they put him out there, and once they found out in verse 34 um, that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out about two hours, <laughs> crying, Diana, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk, and I really believe that this is the guy that God provided to be that voice of reason, um, to, you know, to quiet the crowd down, to get things settled down. It said, and when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that this city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? You know, and they perceive things are a meteorite or, you know, things like this they associated with Diana and things falling out of heaven from Zeus. Says, therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet, do nothing rashly, for you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers, nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and then there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may go to account or give account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed them or dismissed the assembly. So uh, there's a lot in there, but basically um, what's happening is the, the city clerk is saying, hey, there's a way to settle this. And if you don't settle it the right way, um, Ephesus was pretty much self-governed. They were still under Rome, but they were self-governed. So the, county, the clerk is saying, hey, look, there's a way to settle this, and this isn't the way to do it. And if you don't get it settled the right way, what could, what could possibly happen is the, Roman, the Romans will just come in and it's, it'll be Roman rule. There'll be Roman soldiers in Ephesus keeping the law. So, I mean, the guy, you know, the Lord really rose up the right person to quiet the crowd. And, you know, because Paul is going to now leave Ephesus. But just think if that would have really gotten out of hand. That's a lot of people. But God is there. God, you know, God is faithful. He's so faithful, and we see it in Paul's life. And, you know, Paul is going to move on now, and he's going to end up going up through Macedonia. I mean, his travels, it, nothing is stopping him. And, you know, the Lord once again intervenes, and it's just amazing. I think if I was Paul, after a while, you know, I'd think, you know, I, I need like a vacation. You know, I just need to get away. But, you know, for Paul, getting away was getting away from one city that they threw him out of to go to another one to share the gospel. I mean, he would just live for the Lord, to serve the Lord. Um, he just spreading the word of God. And, you know, I know I've, I've said it a few times already tonight, but that stuff just really is exciting to read and to see because it's not, you know, it's not a Charles Dickens novel. Uh, you know, it's not Dr. Seuss or anything. You know, some person didn't, I mean, this is the word of God. This, 
I mean, this stuff really happened, and it's happening today. And God wants to use us in, in things like this. I mean, you know, sure, we're not going into, well, I shouldn't even say it like that. You know, God can do this. You can walk into a store tomorrow and have everybody's attention, and the whole building can get saved. It, it sounds weird, doesn't it? It sounds kind of out there. But who would have thought that a guy of Paul's stature would walk into Ephesus and have this kind of an effect on a city? You know, and of course, it wasn't alone. He had some guys with him. But, you know, it all started with him going into the, to the synagogue and preaching and then discipling people in the school of Tyrannus. It, it started... It started where it all starts with us, taking a step of faith and opening our mouth and trusting the Lord. So, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word, and, God, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to live out um, your word in our lives. And, uh, Lord, I know sometimes I get a little um, excited about um, just what I'm reading and what I'm seeing in your word. And, and Lord, I know that... Um, this stuff is this is still available for the church today and god today maybe more so than ever um the church really needs to have a voice um on this planet you know not just in this country but on this whole planet lord we need to we need to um we need to um just take your <clears throat> And we need to take your word, um, Lord, and um, just believe it, Lord. We don't need to doubt it. We don't need to theorize it. We don't need to do anything, Lord, um, dissect it. <laughs> you know, we just need to read it and believe it and trust you. So, God, I, I pray you challenge us with that. I pray, God, that. We would read verses that if you're for us, then who can be against us? That We would read verses like, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, that we would take your word and just step out on it, God. That we would, um, Lord, allow your word to, to fill um, our hearts and our minds. And, Lord, that that would, be, um, that would be what we, you know, base our decisions on, Lord. So, God, give us... Um, um, a little, um, a little nudge, Lord. Uh, just get us uh, motivated, Lord, as you um, speak to us. And we thank you, God. We thank you for that. That you love us so much. That you gave us your gave your only begotten Son for us. So we uh, we thank you for that. We thank you for filling us to overflowing with your Spirit. And Lord, um, just use us in a way that would glorify you and uh, further your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.